News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel here for a special bonus episode with Takash Mehta, the uh, founder and editor-in-chief of New York Focus, which you can find online at nysfocus.com, which has been doing some really excellent broad reporting about New York, particularly about uh, Albany and about jails and prisons, and uh, which is turning one year old this week. So, Akash, uh, welcome. Uh, I hope you can tell listeners who, who don't already know just a bit about where New York Focus came from, uh, the work you're doing, and uh, what you're looking ahead to in year two. Harry, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. Uh, yeah, so New York Focus launched a year ago, and we launched after, you know, the idea came out of some, some freelance reporting that, uh, that I in particular was doing on the state budget and on homelessness in New York City. And, you know, this was right after, this was in the early months of COVID, and all attention was on testing rates and death rates and hospital capacity. And what was going, you know, dramatically undercovered was uh, was the state budget. And this was a, uh, I believe that budget was $177 billion. And this this uh, more recent one was two, 212. It was an enormous state budget, larger than, you know, 90% of countries' budgets uh, that would shape everything about New York's long-term response to the pandemic and recovery from the pandemic. And it was, it was uh, you know, and, and in particular, what I was shocked to learn was that the state that Cuomo was, you know, threatening essentially to reject about $7 billion in federal Medicaid aid. And so, you know, I wrote that story um, and, and, and a few others um, in this period and really felt the need for, uh, for a home for serious, robust adversarial investigative journalism, specifically on the state level. You know, New York um, has, has incredible journalists working on both the city and the state, um, but especially on the state level, the our ranks have kind of just been been thinned out, as we all know. And um, and so yeah, so over the last year, we've kind of been been growing pretty steadily. Um, we've been covering especially criminal justice issues, climate issues, and budget issues. And um, and recently, we've we've uh, attracted the support necessary to to. Uh, to double the size of our newsroom, which is incredibly exciting, um, but we also are, you know, are are uh, have kind of big plans going forward, um, and so I'm just so excited to be here with you and to uh, to talk about all of that. So, New York, like a lot of states, has has a state capital that's sort of a uh, sort of a nowhere. Respectfully, respectfully, I'm sure I'll, I'll hear from Albany listeners about this, and. A press corps that's based somewhere else, largely in New York City, and there's been a lot of discourse about uh, the decline of local news in New York City, which I think is reasonably healthy in a bunch of ways. Uh, that you've had new outlets like the uh, the City that have sort of helped to fill some of those gaps. There's uh, you know the, the city is filthy with reporters. Um, Albany, I feel like there's just not all that many bodies left, and you're actually looking at 
significantly more power, uh, an even larger budget. And that's not counting all of the authorities and other sort of off book places the, the money go. Why, why has Albany been more difficult to cover? Uh, do, you, do you think that's worse? Obviously, you're, you're young, right? You're 23 years old. So, so are, are new to doing this, but it does seem like there's a vast gap between what's at stake in Albany and uh, uh, the number of people there to just uh, chronicle what's happening day to day. And maybe we felt a little of this in these uh, uh, constitutional amendments that Democrats expected to pass pretty easily with, with the help of lots of New York City voters coming out and, and, and all went down as, as uh, you know, Conservatives were upset, and many people are finding out about them for the, for the first time this week, or even when they were voting, or didn't find out at all, and just didn't fill out the back of their ballots. Right. Yeah. So I think there are. I'm. I'm really interested in in what the causes are of of the lack of of state house reporting across the the country, and especially in New York. Um, my co-founder Lee Harris likes to talk about a a study that the further away the most populated city in a state is from uh, from the capital city, from where wherever the legislature uh, is is located. The higher the rates of of state government corruption are, and the higher the rates of of uh, of, of of mistresses are, of extramarital affairs are, um, and um, and so I definitely don't think it's all geography. Um, but I think that's probably one one part. You know, another part is just that New York government is insanely opaque, even compared to other state governments. For instance, there was a ranking that our state budget uh, process was ranked 50 out of 50 in terms of uh, transparency and accountability and uh, and the democratic nature of that process. And, and, and by the way, m- most of the much of the lawmaking tends to happen in the budget. So instead exactly. of in its own legislative season, it's all in this thing called the big ugly, where, where, where you're working all of this out inside this utterly opaque budget. Right. Um, and and yeah, the state controls kind of everything it control. You know, even even if we're only concerned about New York City, it controls New York City's taxes and largely its schools and its subway. Uh, and whenever New York City does something that the state doesn't like, the state can just pass a law to preempt it. Um, and yeah, there is, and, and yet there is far, far, far too little coverage of, of Albany. And one thing we, you know, we kind of come up against is that there's um, there's a way in which a lot of a lot of city and especially state policy can just seem dry and insidery, and it comes out of the culture of just how few people are, you know, as as the saying famously goes, in the room for these decisions, and so. You know, one central goal and mission of New York Focus is to is to bring those decisions out in the open. Uh, you know, t- today is the Vali and the, the festival of light, and we want to shed light on these on these decisions um, and and bring and bring the public into it. You know, and bring um, uh, uh, o- open up the door so that more people can really. Uh, know what's going on um, in state government and and uh, and provide their input on it. So, so what made you decide, as a young person, to uh, start your own newsroom as opposed to you know seek out an internship or an entry level job at say the Albany Times Union or you know the the decimated uh, Daily News Albany desk, which is one person now. Sure. So. So it was it was me, and then it was a few others, um, including Sam Mellons and Lee Harris, 
um, who, who co-founded Focus and all of us were relatively young. And yeah, why did, why did we start our own thing? I think in part because um, it really felt like there was more work to be done than we could do as, as individual freelancers or individual staffers. Um, I, I think we really felt the need for, yeah, for a home for this type of reporting. Um, and also to be frank, it was, you know, it was, it was the early pandemic. We didn't, we, um, you know, I personally was living, I have moved back and was living with my parents um, and felt just the kind of air of possibility and, and, you know, the sense that if there was ever a time to try something like this, it was now. Um, and, uh, and it was, it's been, to be frank, it's been a little bit, it has taken us a little bit uh, by surprise how much traction our reporting has been able to have. Um, we, and, and I think that's, that's due to a few factors, but one huge factor that's due to is the, the kind of open-armed welcome we've gotten from the rest of New York media. You know, and so for instance, you know, the city, which you mentioned and city and state, um, we, we partner with both of those outlets uh, a ton and we've, you know, we cross publish with them all the time and their editors offer us, you know, advice on, on building out a newsroom, um, and you know, even just even just this interview is a, is a testament to that. Um, uh, yeah, and so I'd love to you know talk about some of our of our stories that we've been most excited about and um, the kind of impact they've had. That that is next on my list. But before we get there, I I, I, I do want to ask: uh, Is everyone feeding themselves off of covering Albany at this point? A, a lot of the most robust coverage in recent years has come from Politico New York, which has lots of excellent, totally free content. But, you know, much of their business model is based on getting insiders who really need early access to information, given the money at stake and everything else to pay for very expensive subscriptions. You, you have not taken that approach. And, and I'm curious if uh, you have a sense if this is or could be a business, how that's working. And maybe you can talk a bit about what you're doing with that starting this year uh, at the beginning of your second year at nysfocus.com slash donate. Thank you so much for, for mentioning this, Harry. Yes, we just started, we just launched a membership program where we are asking people to chip in whatever they can and, and, and become members and sustain us. Um, you're right that this type of journalism, especially the kind of robust investigative journalism that, that we do just takes a lot of time and resources. And um, we have so far, and we're a nonprofit, we don't have a paywall, we, um, we, we, we put everything up for free, um, in part because that really is a part of, 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 of the mission, which is to widen the audience uh, that, that pays attention to New York news and is attuned to the ways that it affects them and you know, so that they can participate in the process. Um, and so we really, really depend on reader support. And so it would be just incredibly meaningful if, if listeners who are interested in supporting this type of reporting could go to nysfocus.com uh, and, and check out our reporting and, and help sustain us. And I'll just mention that right now there's this news match thing that means if you give a dollar, uh, it gets matched with two more dollars. So, so your, your hundred dollars over a year ends up being 300 for New York focus, uh, which, which is nice and, you know, makes it go farther. Yes, that's exactly right. And if you donate on, on a monthly basis, your gifts for, for all of those 12 months will be, will be matched, uh, will be tripled. Um, so it's a really exciting time to, to support uh, the work that we're up, that we're doing. 
Nice. So talk a little about the work you've done up to this point, please. And uh, this may be a longer conversation. I can't quite resist. But um, I'm hoping you could talk about some of the work you've done that you felt has been important and impactful and also about what it takes to sell that work and get it to a, a larger audience as a nonprofit newsroom. Interesting. Yes. Okay. So I'll take, I'll take the first question first, which, um, which is just what, uh, what are some of the stories that we've been most excited about? We've, we've, um, we've focused on, on three beats more, more than others, um, which are, uh, climate coverage and how New York is, uh, it is or is not on track to meet its 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 statutory uh, commitments under the 2019 climate law that was passed on criminal justice coverage, um, both in terms of uh, conditions and jails and prisons, but then also in terms of the um, of, of of the underlying factors that drive the jail and prison population, um, and on the state budget, which we've talked about a little bit. And in each one of these areas, I think what we're most attuned to is how power works in New York. There is so much uh, about New York policy that you know you, you that I think a lot of people who have been around the system for a while get um, get a little bit desensitized to and and become a little bit just used to it, and so don't uh, kind of don't have as much of a sense of of kind of outrage. Um, at, at the ways that some that some things you know some things work, and so you know one example that's on my mind uh, this week is about a year ago we ran a story um, on this maddeningly simple barrier that hundreds of people and potentially thousands of people leaving just Rikers uh, uh, Rikers alone face every year, which is um, which is that they don't have ID, they don't have identification cards. And in in a significant uh, portion of these cases, they did have identity uh, ID when they were arrested or when they're at their their court date. But the but the court system or the police confiscated it or the or the, or the jails confiscated it and then and then lost it um, in the shuffle of transferring it between different facilities. And so tons of people are you know turned out into the streets from from uh, from Rikers every year without ID and without ID you can't apply for jobs. You can't uh, get apartments. You can't reactivate your your benefits. Um, sometimes you can't get your prescription medi- uh, medication, um, and this was a problem which uh, had essentially never never been you know reported on. Um, and in a way, it's a kind of like dry policy issue of specifically you know why was there why. Uh, about five years ago now was this pilot to issue ID and my C. Why did it fold after a month? Um, you know, it's it's in a way a dry issue. But what I was so proud of the of the reporter Morley Music for for doing was just really bringing it to life in terms of um, both going deep into the policy and then also, you know, um, talking to people and um, uh, and 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 highlighting, you know, what this means for people's for people's lives. Um, and in the wake of that story, there was a city, um, you know, there was a city council meeting that had already been scheduled on on reentry issues. Um, and the chair of the committee asked city officials, asked Mokche about uh, about this problem, and Mokche promised interagency, you know, collaboration to to solve the issue. And we just did a story this year on um, just looking at what has happened in the last year. And what we found is that you know uh, 
the the city continues to to you know to promise interagency collaboration to address the issue, but it hasn't happened yet. And in fact, you know, during the pandemic and due to some some changes around EBT cards, um, it's become even harder for people to to get new ID, which I didn't mention, by the way, is is an incredibly frustrating months long process where, you know, you face the central paradox that you need ID in order to get ID. And so we're kind of staying on that story. Um, There was a bill announced in in, uh, introduced in in September in the city council to um, uh, to to you know to take steps to address the issue, and there's another bill on uh, on the state level that would mandate um, driver's licenses being or or the equivalence of driver's licenses being offered by the DMV um, in in all prisons. Um, and we actually we asked the sponsor of that bill, you know, uh, why it didn't uh, why it applied only to prisons and not to jails, and he. He responded that he, you know, he would he would uh, introduce separate legislation to introduce jails. Uh. This is this is um, this is an example of a kind of dry, obscure policy issue where, if we are able to, you know, to 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 really shine a light on it, to really bring out its consequences for um, for you know some of the more vulnerable people in our in our city and in our state, um, we uh, I think we really have have a shot at 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 driving some pretty serious and, and important uh, policy change. So, so one other story I'd love to talk about for a minute uh, was this piece headlined. He says he was wrongfully convicted. His trial prosecutor led the unit that rejected his petition uh, that came out maybe six weeks ago and involves the conviction review unit in Brooklyn, uh, which is something that Eric Gonzalez, the district attorney there, who appears likely is going to be now running for attorney general has often framed it as, as a signature achievement that he helped run under a uh, district attorney, Ken Thompson. And then as he, after Thompson's tragic death, he, he ended up, you know, expanding on that. Um, can you talk a little about that story, what it's about, and uh, the, the the difficulties of prosecutors investigating their own offices and then and trumpeting the successes of that. Sure. So so this was a story. This is actually a story that that we before before the story that you're referencing, we did another story in the context of the race for the Manhattan DA, um, uh, where Tali Farhadi and Weinstein led this unit and um, and and the pace of exonerations dramatically slowed under her. And so we reported that out. Um, that was an excellent story by Sam Mellons. And then the story you're referring to um, was by Ethan Quarry and Elizabeth Wheel Greenberg um, on, on this just remarkable conflict of interest where you have this man, Anthony Sims, who was convicted of murder in, I believe, uh, 1998 and, um, or, or perhaps 1999. Um, and, uh, uh, he alleges that the that the trial prosecutor there just Mark had, Hale. sorry, Mark Hale. Who, who Mark now, Hale, yes, yeah. the, the the trial prosecutor in his case, he alleges that that the trial prosecutor committed one act of prosecutorial misconduct after the other, you know, including um, uh, lying to um, lying to the jury and um, and uh, and pressuring the the lead witness, this guy named Graves. Um, who uh, to uh, to to uh, to testify, 
um, by the way, this this um, the person who who testified, the lead witness, you know, later, um, uh, I think in 2002, told um, told uh, said in a statement that he that he was wrong about um, uh, uh, about the about the trial. In fact, I'm reading it out. He says the police stated that if I do not appear tomorrow morning at the trial, they're going to release Anthony and charge me with the murder. So I appeared the next day and did whatever it was they wanted. And so here we are, you know, 20 years later, and, um, and Anthony Sims, uh, you know, this seems like, like an ideal case for the Brooklyn uh, Conviction Review Unit. Um, and Anthony Sims submits a petition and he gets back, you know, a, a one page letter without any, you know, investigation and without any interview of him um, rejecting his petition. And what he finds is that the person who runs that unit um, is Mark Hale, who is the very same trial prosecutor in, in his case that he alleges committed all this mis misconduct. Um, and, uh, and Mark Hale, you know, actually recently resigned from, um, from this unit. But what, um, what, uh, what a lot of kind of observers are wondering is whether um, Gonzalez will hire someone else like Hale, who has a long history of being a prosecutor at the at the uh, you know at the unit, or if he'll hire someone from from outside and potentially you know someone who who from from the defense bar or or, or who uh, or who wasn't a prosecutor. Um, yeah, and so it was a striking story of of how of of how you know who actually wields power in offices like these, and and you know and and whether they're being held accountable for their for their past and current actions. Um, I figure I should probably also, you know, I, we, we talked so much about how Albany is the most um, is 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 the most important thing to cover. And so I figure I should also, you know, at, at, at least talk briefly about, for instance, um, our state budget coverage. Um, we we did a whole series of articles, um, you know, running up to last year's state budget and we're just starting our our um, uh, our coverage of this year's state of this year's coming state budget. And you know, one thing that was really striking is that you have it still, and you know, we'll see what happens under Hochul, but it is such a remarkably opaque process where you have, you know, times when legislators don't know what will uh, you know, what they'll be voting on until essentially the day of, and they and they have to scramble to, you know, to read thousands of pages of legislation to know whether whether to vote on it. And so one thing we were really proud of doing is on a number of issues, um, you know, uh, uh, reporting on on events as the decisions were made were being made, um, you know, bef before they ca they came to public light and before they were voted on. And so, you know, for instance, we reported on um, you know just one story that's become topical uh, topical again recently is we reported on how the excluded workers fund on how um, there was a lot of debate in the final days about um, about the program design of the excluded workers fund and specifically around whether and and, and for those who don't know this is a fund um, that New York established to to distribute um, relief to uh, primarily undocumented workers who were not eligible for previous rounds of, of state and especially federal relief um, and you know one Let me thing just that jump in there very quickly and then and then please uh, please go on. Uh, uh, regular listeners will know, but I, I should promote here. Check out our episode from uh, last month uh, with documented uh, Romel Ojeda, 
uh, going through the, uh, the the history of the now tapped out uh, $2.1 billion excluded worker fund for undocumented workers and how that's played out and what might be happening now. Terrific. So, so um, one thing to mention is that the story that I'm about to describe actually happened in, in partnership with Documented. Um, so, it's, so, so that's a great plug. I haven't listened to that episode yet. I'll have to listen to it after this. But essentially, um, you know, we reported on how Cuomo was was pushing in the final days of negotiations to add all of these um, these uh, these uh, proof of eligibility um, requirements that would make it, you know, that potentially. Uh, some experts were were worried would would uh, would make it incredibly hard for um, uh, undocumented workers who don't have who often don't have you know certain types of documentation of their of their work um, to to apply and many of those were were in the final days you know in part because it got it became it got a lot of public attention um, many of those uh, ended up not uh, making it into the final legislation that was passed. And that is probably a big part of the reason why, as you mentioned, the Exclude Workers Fund is is now um, has now been totally tapped out. Um, and you know, we we also did a story recently, but uh, again by Sam Mellons, and and we're and we're you know continuing to cover it. How now you know there is a push to to refill that fund. Gosh, in uh, a remaining couple of minutes here, um, if listeners are already digging NY Focus. Listeners want to find New York Focus, go to nysfocus.com. What should people expect from year two and, uh, you know, as as your uh, staff and size grows in terms of the reporting you're doing? Are are you looking to go deeper into the same stories to expand the coverage range? Just uh, uh, what's coming up next? Sure. So our our biggest priority will in the coming months in the coming months will be covering the state budget negotiations um and um and it's a kind of interesting year for this because Hochul has um you know a, a pretty sizable pot of money um that has not been allocated that she that she um will allow, will be able to in her executive budget budget to kind of dole out to to various priorities um and we're unlikely to see as much pressure to raise new revenue um, as we did last year, um, for a number of reasons, in, in part because this year is, a, is an election year, um, and so it's going to be really interesting to cover, you know, not just what the um, what the kind of dynamic is between the legislature and Hochul, and between the kind of the left and the right, but also within the various um, within the various issue spaces, how various issue spaces, ad- advocates, legislators. Um, uh, work out the priorities amongst themselves and whether there are tensions there to, you know, to pay attention to. Um, uh, other, uh, we're, we're also going to continue to, to really stay focused on, on jails and especially prisons. Um, you know, the, the crisis at Rikers has received a lot of attention and um, we, we've, uh, we've, we've been really proud of our stories there. But, you know, New York's 50 prisons in many ways are uh, have have just as kind of surprising and shocking conditions are far more opaque, far less is known about them, and they incarcerate about six times as many people. And so we're really going to focus on the state prison system. Um, we're also really focused on on just the functioning of of, of executive agencies, um, from OTDA to um, the health department to um, to as I mentioned the the, um, the uh, docs, the prison agency. And one thing I you know I really want to ask your your listeners is. Um, especially just given how how kind of plugged in of an audience it is, is 
we um we <laughs> our our we depend for, uh, as our lifeblood on on sustaining donations but we also depend on tips um and and story tips and so we would just be so excited to you know to talk to anyone listening um to 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 this program about what we should be reporting on you know what you know about that goes on and how power is wielded and how policy is crafted that that should be more widely known and it's not um and so you know my my email is akash at nysfocus.com and i would just be so excited to you know to start conversations Speaking of starting conversations, I think we have to leave this one here, but uh, I hope we'll have you back on and uh, others from, from New York Focus and, and as, as stories are coming up and that this is the beginning of a conversation. Thank you again for taking the time, joining us, and congratulations on the birthday. Harry, thank you so much for having me on. F-A-Q. F-A-Q.